Morning, church. Yeah, hey. Thank you for that. Um, wasn't that great, that time of worship? That's what we live for, as, I, as I've always said in the past. Anyway, my name is Armand. I'm one of the leaders of the church, and I will be uh, giving the message today just in case I talk a little fast. I'm, uh, I'm going to try to finish us off at 1130. Anyway, as you have seen, this is our series, our next series, The Church. Now, let me ask you this. Usually, uh, uh, coming from my life group leader, when we were doing a little ministry time, we, we, uh, he, he made this comment. Sometimes we have a preconceived idea of what church is. We, uh, we have that. And that's why when we come to the church, the church, by the way, is not the building. Okay? Just to make sure everybody's uh, clear. The church is not the building. The building's name is Worship Center. We never put a name on the building. But the church is the individual Okay, it is the gathering, the people that come together. Of course, we come together because of Jesus. We are all, when we receive him, we become part of the church, the gathering. So the church is not the building itself. So we have this, sometimes we have this preconceived idea of what church is. So that when we come, we become part of a gathering. We have a tendency to act that way. We have a tendency to show that, oh, I think that, that church over there, they, they sing fast songs. So I think I should be getting used to it. No, that, well, well, hopefully that's not how you think. So scrap that all, scratch that, and we're going to look at the, we're going to look at what the church is about and how the church is. The church should, uh, by now should be at least 2,000 years old, okay? So we're going to look at the birth of the church. This is a five-week series, including today is week zero, okay? And we're going to be doing this for the next five years, uh, five years, sorry. <laughs> wow. So yeah. <laughs> We're going to be doing the church for eternity, but we're going to be doing the series for the next five weeks, all right? That sound better? Okay. So I think we already have a lot of prayer time. I want to start with uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. We're going to do it differently. We're going, to start, we're going to go backwards. No, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. This is how the church was, okay? We're going to go backwards. In the beginning of the church, when the church was born, this is how they were. This is how they acted. Or this is how their lifestyle was. A lifestyle is what? It's something that you do almost automatically. It's accepted. It's, it, you, you don't have to tell yourself, oh, I need to do this. Your lifestyle is like when you wake up in the morning, if it's part of your lifestyle, you already know, oh, that's what. It's almost like a, a, an ingrained part of programming in you. That's exactly what you're going to do because you're, it's a lifestyle. So it's a, uh, my subheading or my heading says a spirit-filled lifestyle. So the church, this is what they did in the early church. Those who received the word uh, gladly, it says, and they continued, continued steadfastly. Okay? It's not just a Sunday thing, but they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. What is the apostles' doctrine now? It is this, the Bible. But back then, they would orally say it because they were the witness of what Jesus Christ, uh, uh, what they heard from Jesus himself. So they would just uh, orally speak it to the, to the church. It says, and to fellowship in the breaking of breads and in prayer. So they got word, they got fellowship, they got breaking of bread, which is really communion, worship, communion worship, and then prayers, past, uh, past tense, uh, with an S, okay, plural. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Lifestyle. Many wonders and signs was part of a lifestyle of the church. Okay? Now all who believed were all together and had all things in common. Unity. 
Today, the church do not have that. You, wanna, you want me to prove it? Who's here for the Golden State? Ooh, I'm sorry, but uh, my Kawhi Leonard and the Raptors are going to win. Okay? <laughs> See? As simple as that. And sometimes even politics divides the church. Would you not agree? Democratic, Republican. Well, who, uh, I mean, half of the church does. Uh, I guarantee you this. Half of the church disagree with Trump. And half of the church agrees with Trump. Unity, but in the early church, they said they had everything in common and sold their possessions and good and divided them among all, of, all as anyone had need. Generosity. In the, in the chapter 13 of Corinthians, it says that love is never rude. It never looks out for its own. It's always looking out for what? Others. There it is. The church was full of love. So continuing daily, continuing daily, it's a daily lifestyle that they were doing in one accord that's the first actually this is not the first mention of a car in the bible it's a few chapters ahead okay nobody got that <laughs> so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house okay that's a little corny i know and they ate their food okay this we're good at eating this is really a lifestyle for us with gladness and simplicity of heart a simplicity of heart we don't need all these things in our lives, all right? Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. This was the lifestyle of the church. But here's what I want to get to. How was it that they were living that lifestyle? How was it that they, were, they got to that point? If you look at now, uh, like what I just proved earlier, unity is something so rare now in the church, Okay? Like what I said, I'm sorry for the Golden State. Uh, I know they're, they tried, but not this year. <laughs> Some, if, if Toronto loses, I'm going to be in trouble. Okay. Anyway, so how did they get to this point? That's really where I want to get into. How did they get to this point? So in order for us to see that, we've got to go back to the birth of the church. So now we can do uh, Acts chapter, the first one. Uh, there you go. So this is the birth of the church. It's called the Day of Pentecost. What is the Day of Pentecost? The Day of Pentecost is really, uh, the, from the Greek word 50, it's really 50 days after the Passover. That's the Day of Pentecost. But to the Jewish, in the Jewish tradition, the Day of Pentecost is what they call the Festival of the First Fruits. It's really like the Festival of Tithes, the Festival of the First Fruits, which is uh, very appropriate, Okay. Why? Because the church is the first fruit of the new covenant. It is the first fruit of the, regen of the new, it's really a new generation, just like how Pepsi says, the, the drink of the new generation. This is the new generation. In the old, when Jesus died on the cross, the, the, remain, the, the remainder, the church during this time was only 120. That was what's left. Though Jesus performed so many miracles and there were thousands that would hear him, there were thousands that ate with him, yet when all is said and done, there was only 120 that was left. And that was the church. And before, and every church has a mission. We have a mission. We have a task. And what is it? We, we honor God and we, uh, we are here to honor God and make disciples in Micronesia and beyond. Any church that you go to, a church of Christ, Somehow it's packaged the same. Because why? Because we only have one God. It's the, 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 the task is always the same. And these men had the same task. Where God told them, 
go and make disciples in every nation, uh, just a shortcut, in every nation. But what God told them was, or what Jesus told them was, but wait, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes and he would give you power to do what I asked you to do. That's what Jesus said. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> now, we have the luxury of the Bible. We already know what the day of Pentecost is. We, if, if you have read through the book of Acts, you already know what happened. Uh, in fact, it's right there. That's what happened. But for the disciples, they had no idea what was about to happen. All they knew was based on uh, John chapter 14 and 15 was that Jesus promised them, when I leave, the Father will, in return will give you another in my place. He would be called the helper, the guide, the teacher, the spirit of truth. He will guide you into all things. He will teach you everything that I said. He will remind you of everything that I said. That's all they knew. So when the day of Pentecost came, they had no idea what was about to happen. Okay, are you getting me? They had no idea. See, we have the luxury, as I said earlier, we have the luxury. We already read the Bible. We know the day of Pentecost, the day that the church was born. And sometimes that kind of, uh, uh, that kind of gives us uh, an idea already. Oh, I think God will do this. Oh, I don't think God is going to do that anymore. And, and sometimes uh, we're not so hungry anymore to really ask for God to do something because it, it seems like, oh, God did that. So this is, okay, now let me read. So that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So they were following the instruction of Jesus when Jesus said, wait, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit will give you power, all right? And, said, and suddenly, so, so that day came, the day of Pentecost, okay? And that day came, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven, and as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Sometimes we lack the imagination to imagine this because, oh, a wind came. No, I believe it was like a tornado. It was so loud because all the people that was gathered in Jeru Jerusalem came to where they were at. And that's how Peter was able to speak. He was, he was the first pastor of the church. He was able to speak. But sometimes, like when I said, we lack an imagination. Oh, there was a wind. No, I believe it was like a tornado that was so loud that it gathered everybody so that Peter can preach. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Church, that is why, as I read earlier, the only reason, I believe, that's why they were able to do everything that they did, because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? And I want to, I want to get your attention. Why is it it's the tongue that Jesus touched during the day of Pentecost? Why is it that when the church was born, it was the tongue that Jesus touched? They spoke in tongues. Just the tongues. I know the church, we, our desire for our people is to live holy lives, to be generous. That's, a, you know, that's part of life. You personally should desire the same thing, that we can live holy lives, we can follow everything about God. But yeah, when the church was born, the Holy Spirit only touched one. It was the tongue. Ever wondered why? Yes, I'm so sorry. 
So anyway, tongues. Why the tongues? Let me bring you back to the story in Genesis chapter 11. Some of you are familiar with this. This is the Tower of what? Tower of Babel. So the Tower of Babel, the earth, the entire earth has only one language, one tongue. Okay? So they said, so the man said, chapter 11 of Genesis verse 4, if you're taking notes, if you have your own Bible, good, you can open it up. It, uh, this is what man said since they only had one uh, language. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. With one tongue, one language, man can do anything. And that's what God said. Indeed, the people are one and they have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing, this is coming from the Lord. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withhold from them. Come, and you know the story. God came down, and, this, and he disrupted the language, and that's why we have multiple languages now. So when man, in the early th- days of, uh, of uh, earth, had one language, God himself said, because they had one language, whatever they proposed, they can do. And what was their proposal? Come, let us build a temple that would reach up to the heavens, and we ourselves can be God. I know some, somehow there seems to be a spirit of, uh, of the end times uh, around now. And I, I can almost sense like there's, there's a fear that's coming around people now regarding the end times, regarding the rapture, regarding the mark of the beast. We seldom talked about this. But let me just give you an opinion because as, as I was reading this, I think God just downloaded this. Your enemy, Satan, is, has nothing original on his own. All right? He's a created being. Everything that's ever created was created by God, even him. So he can only either counterfeit or disrupt what God is doing. All right? The mark of the beast, as uh, some of you might have uh, gone a little bit fearful of, is the mark of 666. And and there's a lot of uh, things going on in the internet. Oh, that mark. And uh, what is that? The subdermal uh, ID? So that's the beginning of the... Of the, of the end of times. Uh, that's the beginning of the end of time. Here's my opinion. Six is the number of man. All right? There's going to be a three-part. It's going to be three-part because it has to be six, six, six. So it, just like the Tower of Babel, the enemy always want to usurp the throne of God. He wants to kick God out, and he wants to be enthroned in that. That's always been his heart. So in order to disrupt he would always go against what God has planned. And he's always wanting man to be above God. 666 is really the three part of man, the ultimate, the ultimate pinnacle of man. I believe it's going to come in three parts, just like how the children of Israel failed God in three areas, provision, the law, and leadership. Okay? I know this is not really part of it, but I, I want to uh, show you the language. Uh, once we get out of this. I believe it's going to happen in that manner. It's going to be a universal language, a universal way to buy provision, and a universal leadership. Because that was their failure. God is in three, and, and, and since it's a counterfeit, it's also going to come against God in three. Amen? So coming back to tongues. Tongues is now, if you, you can talk to anybody across the world without knowing their language. You have an app for that, don't you not? You don't even need to learn the language of anybody else. You can just talk through your phone, and you can communicate with anybody. 
Imagine that. But God never planned that. But in the birth of the church, he revived the tongue. Did you see that? It says the tongue. It was only the tongue that he touched when the, when the church was revived. Why is that so? Because if he, if, uh, if he disrupted it in the days of Babel, why is it that now he revived it in the, in the days of the church? It could, it's, it's simply the same reason. Whatever, if the church has one universal language, then whatever the church proposes, then the church can do. If the church is meant to go and make disciples in Micronesia and beyond, and the church has one language, then I believe the church can do it. And it's so rightly that the Catholic Church really called themselves the Catholic Church. It's one universal church. Now, showing that, since when God revived the language, now it's this time, it's the enemy of God that disrupted the language. There's no unity when it comes to tongues in the church. And I'm now speaking about the speaking in tongues. Whenever the speaking of tongues is brought about in the church, there's always a division. People have their own opinion. People say, oh, no, it doesn't exist. And, and I know it's just opinion. And sometimes what you have to do is learn to yield your opinion to the truth. That's just how it is sometimes. So going back, why the tongues? In the book of James, this is what it says about tongues. James chapter 3, verse 2. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in words, he is a perfect man, able also to brittle the whole body. You only need to control your tongue in order to control your entire body. That's what this uh, verse is saying. Then he goes on to say, Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouth that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. You know that, right? Or look at ships. Look at the modern ships today. They're so massive. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it, de it defiles the whole body. And set on fire the course of nature, and it's set on fire by hell. And it says here in verse 7, For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It began by saying that if you can tame the tongue, you can tame the whole body. A horse is directed by a bit. A ship is directed by a rudder. Going back, if you can control your tongue, then you can control your whole body. It says, but it says, but no man can tame your tongue, or no man can tame the tongue. That's why it needs the Holy Spirit to tame the tongue. And that's why I believe that when the, when the church was born, the only thing that the Holy Spirit needed to touch was the tongue of man. If they were able to surrender the tongue of man, they were able to to direct the entire body. Amen? That's what. I mean, I, I saw it this morning. This is not even part of what I was supposed to teach, but when I saw it this morning, I was like, what do I do? Well, I, have, I just have to say it. Okay? It is unruly, it is evil, full of deadly poison. 
church, when the, when, the, when the church was born, people spoke in tongues. I love how we did this earlier. We already, I mean, I, I think God already set it up. You came here, you dedicate your life, you dedicated yourself. See, when, when, when the disciples were waiting for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they were already had the baptism of John. But Jesus said, John baptized, John's baptism is a baptism of repentance. But the Holy Spirit will come in the baptism of fire because the church has a plan. See, so, so there's a difference with the indwelling presence of the Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In a few minutes, I want to I wanna do this. I don't know how this is going to look like, but if you're here and you've never, you've never even ask God to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. We're going to open the altar today, and I'm going to ask you, would you be willing? Would you be willing to yield your tongue? That's all it was. They yielded their tongue. See, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, that's why they moved in power, they moved in the character of God, was that because they were able to surrender their tongue. But I also want to tell you, God is not a dictator. God will never force you. You can have as much of God as you want, and if you say, God, I have enough, I don't want any more, then God is okay with that. God will never condemn you. If we can put the, the fullness of God in measures, of, in numeric measures, and you say, oh, if you look at yourself and today you say, you know what, I have about 20% of God in my life. I'm about 20% of the fullness of what God is doing to my life. And you say, you know what, God, I'm okay with that. Then your heavenly father would say, then I'm okay with that. There's no condemnation on him. That's what you got to remember. But, all, but at the same time, you cannot look at your brother and sister and say, why is it that they're prospering? Why is it that being blessed? Why is it that they're moving in the things that God is calling them? It's because they were willing to yield and surrender. Amen? In the book of uh, Luke, I think it's Luke. It says that, it's talking about the father. If you who are evil know how to good give gifts to your, your own children, how much more the, the father will not give to you the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is what will equip you as, as a church. It gives us the power not only through the Holy Spirit gifts. Can you show the gifts now? That would be 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 to 11. And it would also give us the fruits of the Spirit. That's why it's a Spirit-filled. It's packaged together. And that's what the early church... Uh, that was, uh, it's okay. That's what the early church were moving in. They were moving in signs of wonder, which is the gifts of the Spirit. But yet there were generosity and there was love in the church because that was the fruit of the Spirit. It's all packaged in the Spirit of God. And Jesus was also filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Can I get you, Elmore, to start? Uh, and let's just create an admission. We'll take this next five minutes and we'll just, uh, we'll just allow God to, uh, and we'll allow ourselves to do business. And this is what I want us to do. Just uh, get in the place of you and God. You already did ministry in the morning, in the early, in the early part of the church or the early part of the service. And that's great. But being filled with the Holy Spirit is different from having an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is what the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit is alive in you. So if the Holy Spirit is water, when you get saved, where's the water? It's inside me. That's when you get saved. Your spirit is revived. That spirit of God is revived. But being baptized in the Holy Spirit is just like me jumping into a swimming pool. I'm all wet. 
I'm not just, I just didn't drink the water. The water is not just in me. But now I am in the water. And that's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is about. So if you've never asked that before, let's create this opportunity. Can we, can we get the entire worship team up, please? I know we're almost out of time, but let's just do this. And we'll end with this. Just find your place in worship. Just find your place in God. And just start to ask, Lord... gave the tongue so that we can be equipped with the power of the Holy Spirit and that we can also have the power to live in the fruits of the Holy Spirit and that's what being that's what a spirit filled lifestyle is you cannot do it on your own it has to be done through the filling of the Holy Spirit amen and we already did ministry in the beginning but now I want us to do this would you allow yourself to be filled with the Holy Spirit would you now ask Holy Spirit fill me I ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit. And just like how I started, the disciples had no idea how the Holy Spirit would come. The problem with us sometimes is we already have a preconceived idea what the Holy Spirit can do. So if that's you today and you just want, uh, I don't know how this is going to look like. If you've never even asked that, you've never asked, Lord, fill me. Lord, baptize me in the Holy Spirit. I want to give that opportunity today. I'm going to ask the, our life group leaders later on. But can we turn off the lights, please? Just how we do worship. Father, thank you.
there is a connection between what happened in the beginning of the service and what's happening now. Terry in the beginning talked about returning to our first love. Armin's been talking about our words that we speak, about speaking in tongues. Paul said, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Words are one thing. The heart behind those words is another thing. And unless our words come from a heart of love, then we are like noise to the people around us. And I want to encourage us as you seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Another way of thinking about that is being empowered. You can already be indwelt the moment you receive Christ. But to be empowered to be able to live the life is something that happens over and over and over again as we continue to seek the Lord and to walk with Him. And so whether you're up here at the front or whether you're seated in your seat or whether you're standing where you are, I want to encourage us to surrender once again to God and invite the Holy Spirit to empower us to be that our source would be from the Holy Spirit, that the things we say, the words that we even meditate on in our heart would come from a heart of love and that God would use that love because there's, there's nothing greater, nothing more powerful than the love of God working in and through us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you're here. And thank you that you desire to empower us to be like Jesus, to be able to live the life. Lord, whether we speak in the tongues of angels or of men, God, I pray that the source, the power, would be your Holy Spirit, your spirit of holiness that enables us to speak words of life to our family, to our spouses, to our children, to our friends. And just as you raise your hands, just receive the Holy Spirit and His empowering to fill you, to enable you, to empower you, to direct you, to be able to live godly lives, to speak words of life in the name of Jesus. God bless everybody. We will continue. If you need ministry, if you need prayer, please stay behind. May you have a good week. God bless everybody.